Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Let us get into the Word this morning. I've got, again, I've got two different directions my heart is going, so I'm just going to, I'm going to nail this one down and then we're going to move on because there's, there's some things I feel like the Lord is wanting us to get into, but I've got to tie up the knot from the last series we've been in. So if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16, we've been talking about, uh, again, about discipleship and how God's desire is not that we just be converts. It's not that just that we're born again. He wants us to grow up. It's not just that we meet Jesus, that's we grow up in Jesus. And so we meet him, we're saved as an event, but then we enter into this process called discipleship, of which the goal is maturity. God wants you to live up to your destiny. He wants you to live up to your potential. There are things that God put in you he didn't put in anybody else. And he wants to loose those on planet Earth. He wants to loose them on humanity. But you've got to step into what God has called you to do. And so the process of you getting to where you need to go is called discipleship. And along the way in the discipleship process, when you meet Jesus and you begin to grow, you're going to bump into some things. You're going to bump into some wounds, some hindrances to the past. You can look at that as some, uh, you got got some uh, bungee cords on your belt loops that are pulling you into the past. You ever seen anybody like that? As soon as they get momentum into the future, they only get so far, and all of a sudden there's a tension, and they're back in their old stuff, and they're, it's, they're always getting pulled back. Uh, that, that shows that there's some things they need to deal with. Uh, those, those, those things consist of either wounds from the past or mindsets from the past. That's why we need to renew our mind, and so, uh, or we need deliverance from the enemy. The enemy will have... Have his claws in people and begins to torment them, uh, oppress them, and hinder them, cripple them from becoming all that they were called to be. And so we need to deal with those three things the lies we believe, the wounds that we feel, or the inroads of the enemies that we, of the enemy that we have allowed to stay intact. Okay, say it again. The lies that we believe, that comes by renewing our mind. We get into the Word. We let the Word instruct us. We get under teachers that are teaching the Word. And then we take what they're saying and make sure that it lines up with the Word. We listen to podcasts and so forth. We're keeping our heart open for God to renew our mind. But we also need to deal with the wounds that we feel. Those, that, that emotional voltage that is tied to events and circumstance, or you could even say events and environments from your past. Uh, a lot of the, the ones that are tied to events are easier because they're easier to recognize. But there are some people that have wounds in their life, and it wasn't some, from some event, it was literally from an environment in which they were raised. It was a negative, dysfunctional environment that becomes very complex, and there's multi-layers to that thing. And so it's not just a matter of, oh yes, I was abused on that one time. It was, I was raised in a dysfunctional environment that taught me to relate with myself in a shameful way. I live out of self-rejection. 
I have a shame-based reference point on the way I view myself. That's connected to environments. And both of those need to be dismantled. And God is more than able, and here's even better news, more than willing to help us in that process. But in order for us to deal with it, we've got to be willing to face it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But there's also that third one, and that is demonic inroads. There are times where we've gotten, in, gotten into things, uh, we, we've crossed legal spiritual lines, where we've gotten into the occult, or uh, deep sexual perversion, or we have bitterness in our life, that all three, there are tracks in Scripture that I could lay out for you that show that the enemy has access through those avenues. And we need to deal consciously, intentionally, and close those doors so the enemy does not have access to our hearts and minds. Doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you're not going to be able to enjoy your salvation to the extent that you should be, because there's still thing, there's doors open to the past. Now, there's a lot of people who will tell you that believers don't need deliverance, and they'll say things like, well, how can the Holy Spirit and a, and a demon dwell in the same person? Listen, I'm not saying that a demon dwells in you. The Bible doesn't talk about demons dwelling in you, necessarily. Say, well, how can, how can you be possessed by God, you, you're owned by heaven and still be demon-possessed. Well, the problem is with that term. That is an English translation of a Greek idea. The English translations, de demon-possessed, are referring to, when you go back into the Greek in the New Testament, the Greek word is literally would be better translated demonized or influenced by the demonic. And there are people that are influenced by the demonic to various levels, to various extents. I've seen everything from people doing things physically impossible where they blow up and you know, grow before your eyes to people who are simply struggle with a, a, a foreboding depression continually and they're both demonic in nature and need to be dealt with by the blood of Jesus and repentance. So I don't care if he's in you, around you, by you, or just visits every now and then. Let's get rid of him. But this thing of a, a believer can't need deliverance. Jesus himself said this. He was speaking of, uh, of the boy who was demonized, and he said, deliverance or healing is the children's bread. He spoke of deliverance as healing, and then said, this healing is the children's bread. If it's the children's bread, you got to be a child of God. To be a child of God, you got to be born again. So deliverance is for the believer. In fact, it doesn't do any good to bring an unbeliever into deliverance because their other doors are open. You've got to be in the kingdom to really deal with that definitively. And so we, those three things are part of our path towards maturity. And so the renewing of the mind uh, the renewing of the mind comes through teaching. It comes through listening to, you know, discussing things. Another avenue, and we've talked about this before, but it's not just the, the monologue of sitting and listening to sermons because there are things that you believe that will never be addressed in the monologue of me getting up here and talking from the Word and you listening because they are so deeply entrenched in you, it'll go right by you. But it's in the dialogue that those things come up. I've said this before, and you'll hear me say it again if you hang around here any time at all. 
that what sounds true in the monologue is exposed for the lie that it is in the dialogue. Because it's in interacting with someone and you saying things and them responding that all of a sudden the light is shown on these lies that we believe. And so it's essential that it's not just us listening to sermons, but we get into this thing the Bible calls koinonia or fellowship. Relating with one another, getting into relationship. And if you don't have healthy relationships with other believers, there is a whole There are vast areas of your life that are going to be left untouched by the Spirit of God, not because He's not willing, but because you're not opening the access point of human relationships to step in. That may be in the form of counseling, and counseling is nothing more, nothing less than a teaching one-on-one, where you're sitting and you're sharing, and then the teacher, the counselor, is sharing back with you we, we alluded to this a couple weeks ago. I, I told you, years ago, the Lord spoke to me. It was the first sermon I ever preached at Teen Challenge. I'll never forget it. It was 1988. Just been hired on. I was stepping up to the pulpit to preach, and the Lord spoke these words to me. I, it had never came into my mind before, but as I'm on my way to the pulpit, I was only seven years old, and... Um, okay, that's a lie. But I was, I was on my way to the pulpit, and the Lord spoke these words. Every stronghold has a harlot. And I knew exactly what he meant. He didn't have to unload it. So, you know, God gives you those little compressed files for a revelation, and when he gives it to you, it keeps unfolding. And I knew what he was talking about. It was, he was referring to Jericho, and Jericho was a stronghold on the edge of the promised land. In order for the children of Israel to enter into their inheritance, the first city that they would have to take was Jericho. Jericho was an enemy fortress or a stronghold. Paul refers to strongholds in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where he said we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments. Strongholds are enemy castles or citadels, strongholds in which the enemy hides and they are, they are fortresses made of beliefs of lies, and the enemy hides behind the lie. The liar hides behind his lies, and the stronghold gives him a foothold from which he begins to venture out and try to take more land in your promised land of your soul. So if you want to be free, your freedom is not an issue of your spirit man. Your spirit man is born again if you got saved. The issue of your freedom is not in your body. Your body, all you can do is put a patch called healing on it, but this thing is getting older, and I know this is not good news, but it's just the truth, okay? I'm a truth preacher. Your body is just, it's downhill from here until you get to Jesus, okay? Until you get to heaven. I mean, so we need to keep it as in good a shape as we can, but the fact is, our body is going, we're going to get a new body. Our spirit is saved, but our soul is being saved. And so discipleship takes place in the soul, and we need to confront those belief systems because the enemy wants to occupy the land in our soul. That is your promised land. Before you can take it out here in the world, you've got to take it in here in your internal life. The, in order for you to become what you're called to be externally in this world, you've got to become what you're called to be internally in your soul. Your believing in your soul determines your behaving in the world. 
and you'll never be what you're called to be in the world. That is true of business, that's true of family, that's true of your walk with God, every facet of life. It's an inside job. And if you really want to grow in God, then don't don't make all your focus on the externals. Begin to focus on the internal. Grow yourself and your, your sphere of influence will automatically grow with you. So we've got to confront those belief systems. And what the Lord told me is he said, every stronghold has a harlot. The context of that was that Joshua sent in spies into the promised land. And these spies went in and they went to Jericho and they found an ally within the city that they needed to take. And that ally was a harlot, a prostitute by the name of Hagar. And those spies represent those counselors in our life. Are you letting people come in and really opening up your soul, opening up your life so they can hear what's really going on on the inside of you? Or are you a shut-up city? Are you closed to any input? Well, I'm not going to let... I'd be too embarrassed. Well, good luck with that one. If you're not going to let anybody in, you're going to remain bound. You've got to let... The army of God, in the form of other believers who are healthy, come into the promised land of your soul and go through your city. You need to let them in and have them ask questions. And what's going to happen is they, they find the allies. They find the things that are going to help you get free. And the interesting thing is, this stronghold, this enemy city, part of the city wall was, there was a little condo. It says that Hagar's home was part of the city wall. So the principle is this, every stronghold has a harlot. Every belief system has an entry point that we need to discern, something that is selling us out again and again like a prostitute. You've got to discern the prostitute. Here's the beautiful thing, that weakness in your life and that weakness in the city, that that, that woman who from external viewpoint would have been, this corruption in the city was really God's end road. And did God kill Hagar? No. He used her to redeem the city and she became part of the lineage of Christ. Rahab. I mean, Rahab. Did I say Hagar? Yeah, I'm saying, yeah. Rahab. Rahab. We're talking about Hagar in a few minutes. Rahab. Rahab the harlot. Oh, for technology, we could go back and edit that whole sermon, but it's too late. But uh, Rahab. And so Rahab became part of the lineage of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. God will take the weaknesses in your life and redeem them and build his kingdom on it. When I saw that in the word, it exploded in my heart because that's my testimony. When I got saved, I was a homeless alcoholic. And the weakness in my life is I had this, this anxiety, this this crippling self-consciousness that kept me from being able to even talk to people. I remember I got saved and I told Jesus, sitting in a Sunday school class, this is great, Lord. I'm going to heaven, but I'll be a mute till I get there. Because I, we were sitting in the Sunday, it was one of those awful Sunday school classes where you sat in a circle. So everybody's looking at each other and I just had all these anxiety attacks. I wanted to climb out of my skin. I'm sweating and ah! I just kept having visions of myself, ripping my shirt off and rah, running out of the room. That would have freaked everybody out, you know? So I'd just sit there and be tormented by the enemy. And somebody across the room read this verse and commented on it. And this was the verse. They said, 
Ephesians 5 says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I don't know anything else they said, but that little thing flew across that circle of chairs and hit me in the heart, and it was a revelation. And I'm like, yeah. Because in the past, I had always gone to a bottle of whiskey to give me confidence. But now God was giving me the key. That was the counterfeit, and the reality was, be ye filled with the Spirit. It's the new wine. And I've always said since that time, it is not a coincidence, it was the fifth of Ephesians. <laughs> Hallelujah. God is so good. I mean, I literally lived to get a fifth. We would scrounge our money to get a fifth, and all of a sudden, God gave me his fifth. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with spirit. When I was in Bible school, I remember, I remember they, the, I was, went to, the first school I went to, there were 14 students, 12 guys and two girls. Those girls were shoe-ins to be wives, I'm telling you. But we're sitting in class, and our professor got up and he said, everybody get a sermon, because everyone's good. you're going to have to be ready, because I'm going to call on you to preach. And I remember just, just being filled with anxiety. And so what I would do every day, I would go and just, I would get up, during that season of life, I'd get up at 4 a.m. and go over to the church and spend time with the Lord. And I would just cry out to God and get filled with the Spirit. And then we'd have break time. I'd go behind the baptistry at the church and I'd just speak in tongues and get filled with the Spirit because I had to learn to live under the influence. And I'm so grateful for that because my weakness became my strength because I didn't have the strength to do it on my own. So I had to stay under the influence. I had to be full of God. That's why his strength is made perfect in our weakness. The Lord spoke to, the first time the Lord ever showed me anything that I can recollect as a believer. One of my counselors at Teen Challenge said, Dave, I feel the Lord wants to tell you about this verse. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He said, go and ask the Lord what that means. And I'm like, you know, well, he's going to use you to tell me, isn't he? You know? So I went and prayed. He was a wise man. I, I went and prayed. And the Lord showed me this picture of a, of a glass, of a drinking glass. And he showed me one that was full. And he said, if you had your own ability, there'd be very little room for me to move. And then he showed me a glass, and it was me. There, was, there wasn't very much in that cup. And he said, because you're weak, there's a whole lot of room for me to move. I'm telling you, your weakness is the very spot upon which he will gain the most glory. And so what God does is he, he invites you. He says, you want your promised land? You want to move into your destiny? Then invite some godly counselors, some people to go in and search out your promised land, invite them into your life and have a dialogue with them about what you're struggling with and he'll shed light on things and God will discern the harlot and when the city wall, wall fell, there was one little sliver. It had to be because when it says that she threw out a red cord out her window and so the city wall fell and there's this little condo on a little leaning wall and all the dust and they redeemed Rahab was it Rahab? Yes, Rahab. Not Hagar. Rahab and her entire family. And she became part of the lineage of Christ. God used a harlot to bring Jesus to the world. I'm telling you. Jesus uses the reason I stand before you this morning. 
The reason, I'm, I'm convinced one of the reasons God called me to preach is because there is no way, it is a flat-out miracle for me to be up here preaching. I mean, I would get drunk in school before I had to read out loud. If we're going to read out loud, I'd get a bottle of whiskey and I'd get, I'd get a really good buzz before I went to class because I was so full of anxiety. The, the fact that now what I do for a living is public speaking is hilarious. <laughs> and my greatest struggle was an indication of my destiny. My greatest battle was a prophecy of what God had really called me to. And that's not some unique thing with me. Often your greatest battle is an indication of what God really wants to use you for. And so we've got to deal with our our mental strongholds. We've got to deal with the demonic. We talked about that last week. But let's look at this, dealing with woundedness. My goodness, i got ten minutes. Let's talk about Hagar. Hagar is an interesting girl. The Bible kind of jumps right into the, the uh, story with Hagar in, in Genesis 16. The, the, uh, when it jumps in, it, it just introduce her, introduces her as the servant of Sarah. Now, probably where Hagar came from, if you look in the story, Abram and Sarai, before they became Abraham and Sarah, uh, Abram and Sarai had gone to Egypt. And when they went to Egypt, uh, Sarai, even as an elderly woman, was such a hot-looking mama. She was a pretty-looking lady. Uh, she, she was noticed by people in the kingdom, and word quickly got to the royal court, and Pharaoh summoned them there. And Pharaoh had his eyes on Sarai to make her one of his own. And multiple wives were not uncommon. There would usually be a primary wife, the sitting queen, but if you could be one of the wives or even one of the harems, a, lesser, a wife with lesser right, that would give you access to the royal life. It's like being discovered by a Hollywood actor. I mean, director. You know, it's like you get, you're breaking into the big time, and if the queen bumped off, maybe you could get into that chair, and man, you're, you're the hot ticket item, you know, in that, that era. And so what happened is Pharaoh noticed Sarai, called her to himself, and he started showering with gifts, and Abram, being the, the brave man of God, he said, tell me you're my sister so they don't kill me. Because in that era, they understood the gravity of a marriage covenant, and they would rather murder someone than commit adultery. We'll just bump off her husband, and then she's free. And so it says that Pharaoh gave Abram and Sarai maidservants and men servants. And Hagar was probably one of the maidservants given to Sarah. And it says that she was an Egyptian handmaiden. So she was probably given to Sarai by Pharaoh. That would have been how they came about having this young lady. It was a reference to something earlier. And I want you to think about that because Hagar, like most kingdoms of that time, you remember the story of Esther and how, you know how Esther came to be part of the royal harem and a, and a candidate for, the, you know, for royalty and to be the queen, was that they, the, the king would send out eunuchs all through the land and he would gather up the most beautiful young women from every village and he would bring them in and then they would go through beauty treatments and they would go through classes and, and uh, they were training them to please the king. That was not an uncommon thing for these, these monarchs of these ancient kingdoms. 
And so Hagar most likely came to the royal court in the same manner. She was probably summoned there. There was some, some eunuchs sent out to the villages, and she was brought. And this would have been a big deal, this young girl, probably 14, 15 years old at the time, and she's been discovered. It's like, uh, was it Lana Turner? We're, we're old, old movie buffs in our family. Lana Turner was discovered. Some of you don't even know who she is. Lana Turner was discovered sitting at an ice cream uh, bar, you know, at a Dairy Queen or something, and a director spotted her and said, you're a beautiful woman, Do you, would you like to be an actress? She became one of the biggest actresses of her era. And this young girl, all of a sudden, her whole world opened up. She was summoned to the royal court of the most powerful and wealthiest kingdom in her time in human history. It's an amazing opportunity. And so she's, she's thinking, man, this is, this is a big deal. We don't know where this is going to end. Her, her dreams have just expanded, and she's, this is exciting. And all of a sudden, there's this couple that takes the nation by storm. They're the, they're the newest deal, you know, Abram and Sarai. And everybody recognizes Pharaoh's got his eyes on Sarai, and she's given as a gift to Sarai so that elevates her status because she's the next thing and she's the next in line by the next thing because it was not uncommon for brides to bring their, their handmaidens and for the husband to have relations with both. And that was how they would build their families. And so to Hagar, I, I mean, is Hagar, yeah, see, I'm trying to play with this Rahab thing. Okay, Hagar, just, okay, Disclaimer, if I say Rahab in the rest of this message, unless I'm talking about strongholds, disregard and and place in their Hagar. (laughs) So Hagar, uh, this is a big deal. She's a young girl with all these dreams. And now she's been, you know, given to Sarai and everything is going great. She's excited. She's writing home, Mom, Dad, you ain't going to believe what's happening. My future is looking really good. I just inked a deal for a big movie. This is going to be exciting. And all of a sudden, one night, she hears a commotion. There's a pounding on her door. And the guards say, get your stuff together. Everything. You're out of here. And she's wondering what's going on. And as she's being pushed out of the palace and out of the royal court and driven from the city, she begins to get the details from this small band of people that came with Abraham and Sarai. And now, because she belongs to them, she has to go with them. And she finds out that this guy that is the brother of the beautiful lady is really the husband, and he lied to Sparrow, and God warned them, and now he's, he's, she's... They're, they're being pushed out of the city because Pharaoh's ticked, but he realizes this is a man of God, so I won't touch him. And she's having to go with them. And in one fell swoop, this girl whose dreams were getting bigger and bigger and had the world at her feet, all of a sudden it all closes and she's now wandering the deserts with this old man and old woman. And she's been robbed of her dreams, of her nation. And we pick up the story in Genesis 16. And it says that Sarai comes to Abram and said, Hey, I, for, thus far I've not been able to provide a child for you. And that was a big deal. That was, that was a status symbol. That was the status symbol among married women in that era. And she said, I, I've not been able to produce, so I'm going to give unto you my servant, Hagar, and she's going to produce an heir for me. And Abram didn't pray about it. Yeah, whatever you say, honey. And uh, so... He spends the night with her, 
She finds herself pregnant, and we read in this passage, and I'm just going to tell it to you because I don't got time to read it all. I'm going to try to rush this. She, it says, when she found out she was pregnant, she despised her mistress, Sarai. And so Sarai goes back to Abram, and she says, hey, A.B. baby, I had an idea, but you were dumb enough to, now this is a paraphrase, okay, but read between the lines. My idea, but you were dumb enough to do what I said in an emotional state of mind, and now it's your fault because she despises me, and if you don't think it's your fault, you go talk to God, and he's going to let you know he's on my side and not yours. Yeah. I'm always troubled by that passage as a husband. And so Abram, who has neglected his responsibilities at every turn in this this scenario... Uh, they came by Hagar through deception. Then he ended up going to, going to bed with her out of prompting from his wife. And now he's in trouble. So what he tells his wife, she's your mistress. She's your, she's your handmaiden. You do as you please. And it says that Sarai began to mistreat her harshly. And so Hagar fled from her. And now we find her in this passage. She's at a little spring on the road that leads to Shur. It's out in the wilderness. She's in the desert, and she found a spring, a place where it can sustain her. But she's, she's lost, man. She, she, she's been driven out of her own country by these people that she has to deeply resent because it was their sin that cost her her dreams. And now she's sitting there. She's pregnant with this elderly man's child. She's been mistreated by the woman who made her go to bed with the old man. And now she's sitting there, and she's distraught, and it says that the angel of the Lord came upon her. And here's the message to you this morning. Angel, of course, means messenger. There was a message that arrived from heaven. And the angel said this. Listen to this. Hagar calls her by name. Servant of Sarai defines her, her situation and then he asks her twofold question. Where have you come from and where are you going? He calls her by name, Hagar. You know what Hagar means? It's an Egyptian derivative for the word that means to flee. This was a girl who was living up to her name. She had been named that and she was living that out. She was fleeing from her problems. She had a situation. It was hard. I mean, you can't, what the picture we just painted, that is a hard situation. A girl whose dreams have been shattered and now is carrying the, the baby of a man she didn't choose. She, it would, that whole relationship was foisted upon her. She didn't want it. And now she's not only lost the dreams of her nation, now she's abandoned out in the desert. She's being abused by her owners and she's sitting out there. But the angel says, Hagar, you who flee. He comes and he confronts her with the reality. And then he says this, servant of Sarai. He defines her situation. I have found that often the very situations I want to rub, I want to run from, God wants to rub my face in. Let me say it again. 
the very things that I want to deny and run from and pretend they didn't happen, they just keep circling back around. And God wants to rub my face in that and bring me to the point where I embrace reality. I've got to own this thing. And he, what he's essentially saying is, hey, you can run, but you can't hide. It doesn't matter where you go. You still belong to Sarai. You are the servant of Sarai. This is your situation. And the quicker you come to terms with that, the better off you'll be. Every time I listen to the, read this passage, I think of this. Years ago, I heard a preacher telling about this family that it was a very wealthy family, and they, they uh, had a, there was a patriarch in the family. He was getting ready to, you know, he was getting pretty long on his years. He's going to die. He's, he's elderly, and they thought, what can we do for him on his 95th birthday? And they said, the guy's got everything. He's a billionaire, and they thought, let's do this. Let's hire a famous author to write a book of the family's history. We put a coat of arms on it, leather bound, gold filigree. I mean, it would be really, you know, and it will have them do research. We'll get all the oral history of the family and we'll present it to him. And so they hired this well-known author, sat him down, told him the stories, and they said, we just got one problem. And they said, what's that? And they said, Uncle Albert. And they said, who's that? I said, Uncle Albert <laughs> went to prison for capital murder and died in the electric chair. How are we going to present that in a presentable way? And the guy said, oh, I know how we'll do it. We'll just say Uncle Albert occupied a seat of applied electronics in a high government institution. <laughs> he was connected to his position with the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. And then we'll just move on. <laughs> and the fact is, a lot of us, that's how we edit our past. We, we have things in our past, and we want to gloss over them. But the Lord doesn't let us do that, because the things you won't own will own you. The things you won't admit are going to continue to haunt you. And if there's things that you are terrified that people will hear about and know, then those are the very things that the enemy will use as leverage to keep you stuck. And so what the angel said, he said, Hagar, you who flee, I'm going to define your reality. You are the servant of Sarai and there's nothing you can do about it at this moment. And then he asked you the question, where have you come from and where are you going? What is your history and what is your destiny? And the interesting thing, her reply, only, she, only, she only answered the first question. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress. I'm fleeing from, from uh, Sarai. I almost said Hagar. I'm fleeing from Sarai. And so here's the thing. Until you settle your past, you'll never be able to enter your future. Until you settle your history, you won't be released in your destiny. Until you deal with the pain in your past, it's going to keep you from really becoming all that God has called you to be. So the quicker you get on with that, the quicker you can get on down the road. And so we've got to deal with our past. We've got to go through that. And I'm not saying you get up, on get up at church on Sunday, you know, during the, uh, you know, greeting time and start yelling to everybody all your dirty laundry. But I am saying there's got to be people in your life that you can share the most painful things in your life with. And if you don't have anybody in your life like that, it's because you're not looking around in this room. And the enemy is keeping you stuck. So here's the, here's the counsel of the angel. And I'm going to, uh, it's four minutes after, I'm going to go through this real quick. This is what he says. He said, go back, go back. And literally in the Hebrew, it says, go back and suffer ill treatment at her hand. 
Go back and face the pain of your situation. Do not try to go on. Go back and face this pain. Deal with this hard situation. And then he gives you a promise. There's counsel and there's a promise. And I will make of you a great nation. He's promising her this tremendous destiny. But it's contingent on her going back. Because her hard situation was the place of her sustenance. It was the place where she was going to be developed into who she was called to be. And what happens is Hagar does go back. She lives with them for a time. And the next time she leaves, it's because Sarai sends her away. She's free. She's not, she's not a runaway slave anymore. She has been freed from her mistress. And the angel shows up again and, and nurtures her and her child because now she has given birth to a son and that son is going to become a great nation. And the angel comes and prophesies over her child. And here's, here's the condensed version. Every one of you have tremendous destiny within you. There is potential. There is, there is the purposes of God were wrapped in your DNA. And God is just waiting to unleash it on humanity. But one of the great hindrances to you becoming all you were called to be is the unresolved issues of your past. And if you won't go back and deal with them, they will hinder you from going on and becoming what you were called to be. So we have to invite some people into our life that we can bear our hearts to. And we've got to work through that pain. We've got to, I know this is gross, but we've got to lance the boil and let the pus out. You've got to get that stuff out so it's no longer infected and there's no longer emotional voltage tied to those humiliating, hurtful, uh, painful, shameful situations in your life. You've got to confront them and when those feelings aren't surrounding it anymore, you know you are free. And God doesn't want you running from your past. He wants you to be sent from your past. And he wants to incorporate those things into your testimony. Your test becomes a testimony. It becomes part of your story. And that story carries power for other people. Because you have deliverance in your testimony. You have the keys to other people's deliverance that have gone through the very things you've gone through. But you got to get free yourself before you can use those keys on anybody else. So go back. I'm going to ask you to bow your head this morning. And Father, I'm asking God right now, Lord, that you would just move over this group of people. And Lord, I'm asking God that you begin to stir up those hidden things in our heart, Lord. Lord, those things that we don't want anybody to know about. Those humiliations. Those horrors those unmet hungers. Lord, those weaknesses that have sabotaged us. And Lord, I ask, God, that you'd begin to move by your Spirit. And now, Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would begin to stir their heart and prompt them on who they should talk to about these issues. Lord, we're, we're asking for a season of tremendous freedom to dawn in this place, Lord. 
freedom from bondages, freedom from fears. Lord, I'm asking, God, that there would be no occasion for blackmail in any life in this room. Lord, that we would be so free from shame that we, we could tell our story and beat the devil to it. When the enemy tries to start whispering, well, what if they find out about, and we can laugh and say, oh, they don't know the half of it. Wait till I fill them in. Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.